Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. Good to see you this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians 6. Galatians 6 is where we're going to be this morning. How many of you own dogs? Any dog owners? Okay, lots of dog owners here, just like the first service. Man, we just, we spend a lot of money on dogs, don't we? There, we have a dog, Wesley. I know I've used him in his illustration before, but Wesley's been a part of our family for the last 11 plus years. And, uh, you know, after so long, these pets of yours, they become like family, don't they? I mean, you love them, they're a part of you. And one of the things that my daughter, she's about to go off to her own gap year, one of the things she uh, keeps asking Liz and I, you know, because Wesley's now 14, he was a rescue dog, we got him when he was three. And she's like, so what kind of dog, you know, Wesley's getting into his life, what dog going to get when, when Wesley dies? And I'm like, none. I'm not buying another dog. And like, Dad, come on. I said, here's the thing, okay, dogs are awesome. I love, I love Wesley, again, part of the family, but... The thing about dogs I don't enjoy is anytime you want to leave town, you got to think of the dog. And finding someone who will take care of that dog the way that he needs or she needs to be taken care of. And you know, when we leave town, it's like you make this long list of when to feed, how to feed, and what to do, and taking the dog out, and all these kinds of things. And, and you can always tell uh, when, when we get Wesley back whether he's had a good week or a bad week. Uh, and, and I was thinking about that. What if, what if instead of giving a list for your, for your pet of all the things that need to be done, what if you just simply wrote on a piece of paper for the person to take care of your, your, your pet to say, treat this dog like it's a part of your family, right? If that's, if that's all I wrote, how well, I mean, it would be so much more than just the list of things of, feeding, making sure, you know, bathrooms, taking care of like, no, that's the kind of thing that there'd be 10, 20, 30 more things that this, these people would do taking care of your animal. If you just simply said, hey, treat this person like he or she is a part of your family. And, and Paul in some way is, is doing that with this last part of his letter in Galatians. Remember, he has set up the idea of, he's writing this letter in, in contrast to the teaching, the false teaching of the Judaizers, that you have to obey the law and you've got to be circumcised in order to be saved. And so he brings people back and says, no, it's the gospel alone that saves. It's faith in Christ alone that makes you righteous. It's not the works of the law. And so he, after he gets done with, with laying that entire argument out, then he goes into, okay, now that you know there's no list, there's no rules. There's one thing that we have to do because the gospel doesn't just give us a ticket to heaven. It changes us internally. It transforms us into the image of Jesus here and now. And the best way in order for that transformation to take place is to love others. Fulfilling the law of Christ, as he says in, in Galatians chapter 5, and that's to love your neighbor as yourself. And so what Paul's going to do in, in, the, in the next, in these last chapter and a half, is lay out specifically what loving your neighbor looks like. That you and I don't cut to come up with that idea. That it's, he's spelling out these, these examples, these models of what it looks like to love your neighbor. And he, he gives this picture of, of following the Spirit, living in the Spirit, producing fruit of the Spirit. That this idea of walking and keeping in step with the Spirit is one of the ways, because we want the, the, empowerment, the empowerment to live this life out, has to come from God and not ourselves. And then we get into chapter 6, verse 1, that Dan preached on that first section in chapter 6, that listen, in order to love your neighbor as yourself, 
that one of the best ways we do that is when someone around you is hurting, when someone around you is stuck in sin, when someone around you is weak, that you who are stronger, you come up alongside them, you love them, and you help bring them up. And so that's what, that's what Pastor Dan talked about last week. And now we're getting into this second section of chapter 6. And really, uh, 6 through 9 is his own section, and then verse 10 is really a summary statement of the previous nine verses. And so there's a key word that Paul uses in, these, in this little section that we see over and over again referring to what it looks like to love our neighbor as ourself. And I want you to see this. Look at verse 6. This is, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, circle or underline that word good. If you're taking notes or you want to highlight your Bible, circle that word good. Okay, now look down at verse 9. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Circle or underline that word good again. Look at verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. There's that word good again. Three times Good is used as Paul is describing this section of his letter. The whole point is this, that if we are to love others, if we're going to fulfill the law of Christ, and we don't have the 613 Mosaic laws anymore, what's going to fuel us to do all the things that God wants us to do? Paul says, I want to give you a picture of what it looks like, and it is this, do good to other people. That the gospel should be permeating our heart and our minds, the way that Christ has loved us, should change the way we see ourselves and change the way we see the world so that when we see people around us, we want to do good to them. That in our own fleshly, sinful nature, the only person we care about is ourselves. And Paul's saying, no, if you want to be God-centered, if you want to be gospel-centered, it means you are looking out for everyone around you to take care of the good in their life. Now, when you think about that word good, a lot of times when, we're, when we use the word good, first of all, we use the word good wrongly many times. Okay, so when someone asks you, how are you doing? If you say good, that's an improper use of that word. Did you know that? You're like, Ben, cut the, cut the grammar lesson right now. Some of you grammar Greekers are like, yes, he's preaching it from the pulpit. All right, you are excited about this. Now, when someone asks you how you're doing, when you say, I'm doing well, well is an adverb, but you're describing the state of being or the action of how you are doing. Good is an adjective describing a noun, okay? And so it is good works, good fruit, okay? So when someone says, how are you doing, what should you say? Well. I'm doing well. But what many times do you say, I'm doing good? I know I do the same thing. You'll probably grammar check me later on uh, this year if I say I'm doing good. But, but when you think about good, Many times when we use the word good, we're saying, how, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Or that person is living the good life. What do we mean by that? Usually when we have this idea of the good life, we use this word good, I'm doing good, it means that I, myself, my life, I've, been, I've achieved something that I'm satisfied with, or I've, I've been, I'm enjoying personal fulfillment in life, that things in for me are going well. So what we use the word good for a lot is it's very self-centered. Do you ever notice that? When we use the word good in our context, in our culture, we use it to define how me, myself, and I, how 
our life is. And what God's word taught wants us to have is this mindset, this shift in our thinking to say, no, the good life isn't me making sure I'm personally fulfilled. The good life is me loving others. That's the good life. And so the main idea that Paul's giving in this text today, and here's the main idea of the sermon, is this. The gospel drives us to do good. The gospel drives us to do good. The gospel drives us to do good to others, to do good to, to praise God, that we, that we are to live our lives, that, that if we're going to love others, if we're truly going to be transformed, that we're going to look for ways to bless other people. I'm not going to just live my life for myself. The good life is not me making sure that I am personally fulfilled. The good life, according to God and his word, is that we are blessing others the way we have been blessed by Christ. And so how do we do that? There's four specific things that we see in this text that Paul gives instructions for, for application of how to do good. And the first one is this. Number one, share good things. Share good things. That's exactly what he says in verse six. Let's look at it again. It says, let the one who is taught... The word, meaning the word of God, share all good things with the one who teaches. Now that word share is the word koinonia. It's, it's used very much, it's, it's used a lot. And picture the early church in Acts chapter 2. We see this word used a lot to describe this early church and how they koinonia, they shared all things. It means uh, a lot of times we translate the word koinonia into the word fellowship. It's this idea of I'm sharing my life with them, but I'm not just sharing my personal life. I'm sharing my goods, my services, that I am, I'm pouring out what God has blessed me with materially to someone who does not have it. And so what Paul's describing is this idea that, listen, there's going to be people that come in the way that Paul's ministry worked. Now, Paul was sometimes a tent maker, but we also know that Paul received gifts and offerings from other churches that supported him in his mission work. And, you know, so we just had Micah and Claire up here this morning. And, and they went, they spent nine months on a gap year serving God, going across the world. We praise God for that. And, and some of you knew that when they were raising funds for this last year, you saw them and you saw the work that they were going to do. And you said, I want to support them. I want to give to them. That there's this idea that we see throughout scripture, even going all the way back to the Old Testament, write this passage down, Numbers chapter 18. Numbers 18, we see how God in the law made a provision for the tribe of, of Levi. The Levites were the tribe in the Old Testament, in the nation of Israel, that were the spiritual kind of the, the spiritual head. They were the priests and they were the singers and they took care of the temple and the tabernacle and, and, and they taught the law. And so one of the things that the that in the law it made a provision that, that when people, the other tribes, were to give a tenth or a tithe. To the, to the Levites to make sure that they were taken care of. And so we see this historical precedent. Paul talks about this later in, in 1 Timothy 5 and 1 Corinthians 9, talking about that when, when those who receive something spiritually should share some, with something materially to those who have blessed them in that way. And so we see this throughout Scripture, but here's, got to remember, what's, the, what's Paul talking about? Th that there's no more law. You see, in the church... We don't require people to come in and be like, if you want to be a part of the church, you got to pay up. Now, I know there's churches that are like that, but that's not the way the, that's not the, way the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be run. But even in the, their culture back then in first century Greco-Roman world, 
the way if you wanted to be a part of a religious temple or a sect or a group of philosophers to learn spiritual things from, they had these things called dues that you had to pay. Think of it as a subscription service. You guys know all the subscription services that we are like bombarded with today. And, and they had a subscription service for a spiritual, to be a part of a spiritual tribe, a spiritual group of people. And when Paul says, hey, there's no more law. There's no more requirement for 10% anymore to, to pay the spiritual leaders because we don't have tribes anymore. This is now the church. Paul's bringing the gospel, the, free, the idea of a free will offering, saying, listen, if you want to support the work of people that are doing this full time, then share all good things with them. That's the standard. It's not compulsion. It's not mandatory. It's something that comes out of our heart, out of a love that says, you know what? I want to share with those who are going to be sharing with me the word of God. Now, I'll be honest with you. In 23 years of me being a pastor, I've never preached on how I get paid, which is a little awkward, okay? Just to be honest with you. And, and let me just say this, because when I, when I was reading and studying this passage this week, there's, this has something for me in this passage as well. Okay, so when I read this, two things stood out to me just how I'm receiving this as I'm receiving the word of God. Number one, I am so grateful. I'm so grateful for, for, for you that, that, that when you give to this church, you don't just support me and my family, you support all the staff, all the workers and laborers for the gospel, not just the staff here, but you also support literally dozens, if not scores of people who are taking the gospel into to every corner of this world. That there is a we believe in this church that there, there are people that are called by God to serve him with their lives full time. And that only happens when people who are not serving God, you know, vocationally are in their own realms and saying, you know what, out of my free will, off, out of my monies that I've worked for, I'm going to give it to the church to support people who are going to lead and teach the word of God across this world. When, when I think about this, I'm humbled. Because for 23 years, I've been a part of three churches that have given me a living wage so that I can do this full time. But, but the, the second responsibility that I, that I come from this passage is this. Look, when I read this, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. See, I have a responsibility. In this passage, my responsibility is I better make sure I'm preaching the word of God. Otherwise, I'm not worthy of those gifts and those offerings. And we live in a world where that, you can't, you can't assume just because someone walks on a stage in a platform of a church or a ministry that they're going to do that. But that is something for me I take very seriously. And, and, I, and I commit to you this morning that as long as I am breathing air in my lungs, as long as God uh, you know, has me here in this church and, and, and for the rest of my life, that if God gives me the opportunity to preach the word of God, that I will be faithful to the word. It, that when someone gets up here, it's not Ben, it's not Ben's words, it's not Dan's words, they're teaching the word of God. It's very important. The second thing that, that I, when I think about this text that stands out to me is this. There are a lot of snake oil salesmen today that abuse this passage. 
I mean, how many times you turn, you're flipping through the channels, you come to TBN, and there's some prosperity gospel person corrupting this passage of reaping and sowing. If you, if you sow a seed of $100, you'll reap a benefit of 1000 I mean, they're lying to their audience, and what these people are doing is they're, they're using people for their own personal wealth and benefit. We've got to be aware that there are people today, you know, going all the way back to even the book of Numbers, where there was a guy by the name of um, you know, Balaam, who was a prophet, who was able to receive spiritual insights from God. And the best way to get Balaam to prophesy for you was, show me the money. And there are people that will use their spiritual gift because, for, the, for the sake of their own personal benefit. And we've got to be aware of that. When we look out and say, you know, even my wife and I, when there's people that we want to support with our own money above and beyond what we do, what we give to this church, I mean, we're looking for people, they're missionaries that we feel we firmly believe in because we believe their life, their character, their ministry backs up exactly what we would want to see advanced. And so when we look for the character of, of someone and making sure this, that the character of the people that you're supporting are going to do this. Now, now let me just take a step back and say, in the midst of that cultural reality we all live in, I want you to know that at this church, you can be, you can be sure that, that Dan and I, we do not determine our salaries. I, I think that's really important for the, for, to being above reproach, making sure that the people who are going to be you know, laboring and being paid a salary, that we have other people who are going to determine that for us. Because I think, you know, you just can't trust people today to say, do I really know, do I have the pure, even if I have the pure motives, you got to entrust that to other people. And so whether you're a part of this church or one day God takes you to another church, you need to make sure that how, how support and how salaries are determined is not a, you know, one guy in a room writing his own checks. That's really dangerous. And it can be, a lot of churches can get in a lot of problems and a lot of dangers with that happening. I want you to know that does not happen at this church. The other thing that, that made me think about is this, and this is more of a cultural reality today or more of a, maybe a techno, technological reality today, is that I was just reading about things of AI and deep fakes. The, ch- the chances of churches and religious people getting duped are even higher and they're going to be higher in the future. Um, one of the things that, I'm not sure if you followed the news this week, but uh, Zoom got into some trouble this week because they updated their conditions. You know, those things that you have to scroll through really fast and then check, like, yeah, I don't care. You know, there's like 15 pages of stuff, and you're like, yeah, whatever. I, I signed my life away, my firstborn, whatever. Just let me get through this page, right? Well, Zoom changed their, 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 their terms of condition. They added a little thing in there that said that they have the they have the ability through AI to capture your voice and your image. Okay, now people start freaking out. I thank God for the nerds that actually read those terms of condition, right? But, um, you know, there's a big backlash from Zoom this week. But, but here's the reality we all live in. We are, we are, we are months away, or, if, you know, the technology is here today, for people to take all the, all the data that's out there, whether it's, you know, they could take the videos of Dan and I, whether preaching, um, uh, speaking, all the, the thousands of hours or the hundreds of hours that we've, we've been preaching with our life and on podcasts and those kinds of things, there's the technology now to actually create a deep fake video or vocal, you know, vocal message from, from myself or Dan that says, hey, 
we need you to support us and give money here. The, the danger of, of a deep fake of a video of me asking you for money is really strong. So I'm sharing this today from the pulpit so you know this. If you ever see a video from me or Dan or anyone from this church asking you for money, check the app first. If it's not on the app, it's not from us. That's number one, okay? Number two is this. We will never, ever ask you to give us money personally. There will always be a link to give to the church. And again, if it's not on the app, it's not, you know, you can't trust it today. And it's weird that I have to share that, that we live in a world like this. But I know there are people out there that will try to use people and try to take advantage of the people of God. And we have to, you know, we get from me every other week, there's an email from Pastor Ben to the staff. I'm in a meeting. I'm really busy. Can you please buy me some gift cards and send it to this email? And I'm just like, I will never do that. Okay. And I want you to know, we will never ask you for money personally. That, that's just never going to happen. And so I want you to be aware of those things. But the, but the reality is this, and, and going back to what it's, it says is this, if, if we want to see more people supported to take the gospel more places, then there's a, there's a call from the people of God that will say, you know what, I will support that. I will share all good things that I have with the people who are going to take the gospel where it needs to go. And that's, that's, the, first, that's the first good thing that Paul talks about. The second thing is this. this the second good, good idea is, is remember a good principle. Remember a good principle. Now, Paul, look at verse 7 and 8. Paul continues this thought. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Paul is going to share this idea. Now, what's interesting about this text right here, when you think about reading verse 6, verse 6 feels like its own idea. But what's interesting is there are, there are three times when Paul uses this illustration of reaping and sowing in his letters. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and right here in Galatians 6. Every single time he does, it's in reference to finances, to money, to giving. Now, but he, let me just say this. I don't believe that this is purely about giving because what Paul is sharing is a bigger idea. Because he brings it back to this idea of flesh and spirit that he was talking about before. Paul is sharing a universal principle, a good principle that he wants everyone to, to understand. And that is this. What you do matters in life. That what you reap, you will sow. That your life choices, your behavior has consequences. And you need to understand that. Why is Paul saying this now? Because he knows we as people, we have a tendency to twist and corrupt what God's word says. And so Paul just knows when people hear this idea of, oh, so there's no more law. Oh, there's no more lists. There's no more rules that we're free in Christ. We can just do whatever we want. And Paul's like, no, no, that's not the way it is. It, just because there's no law doesn't mean that God cares about how you live your life. God cares a lot about your life. And what I would say is what, what, what Paul, what Jesus teaches that the, the Spirit, the Spirit calls us to a higher standard. 
than the letter of the law. The letter of the law says, don't commit adultery. The spirit of the law says, don't look upon anyone with lustful intent in your heart. There's a higher standard now in place. And so what, what Paul's trying to say is, God cares about how you live your life. What you reap, you will sow. That there are consequences to your behavior. And so this image of planting, you know, sowing, and reaping, harvesting, is this picture that Paul wants you to have. And now, so just picture this, okay? Every day in your life, you have this field in front of you. And every action and every decision and every thought is like a little seed. And what you do with your actions, you're either going to be living out this life in the spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness. So you're going to be, you're going to be planting seeds of those kinds of things with your life. Or you're going to be planting seeds of selfishness, malice, anger, deceit. You know, all of these things that you have every single day, you will be planting these seeds in your life. And eventually you're going to look around over time and you're going to look at your lawn and be like, okay, what's here? What, what is nasty? What's ugly? What's broken? What's, what's sinful? I, there's a reaping that happens with the decisions we make in our life. There are consequences to our life choices. And some of you right now are walking in some of those. You know, for example, if you are someone who's, who lies, who is deceptive in your life, don't be surprised that if you live a life of lying and deceitfulness, that people don't trust you and people don't want to get close to you. If you're someone who's got anger issues and you lose it all the time and you're, you're lashing out on everyone and everything, don't be surprised when, the, when your children have anger issues. Don't be surprised when people are kind of like, you know, put up barriers around. I don't want to get too close to that person because what your life has consequences. If you spend hours a day on social media scrolling, don't be surprised when you turn into a narcissist. Okay, we're just focused on yourself. If you spend hours looking at pornography, don't be surprised when you, when you have sexual dysfunction in your life. What you reap, you will sow. This is a universal principle. It is a good principle. It's different than karma, okay, because a lot of times it sounds a lot like karma, like you're going to get back what you do. It's different than that, though, because the difference in, in, in reaping and sowing in karma is this, that there is there's a greater law that's even above the reaping and sowing. So, so, so if, you're, if you're at your life and you look at your life right now, okay, Think about, what you've been, think about what you've been planting seeds of your life the last year, the last five years, the last 10 years. There's going to be, there's a, there's a reality of your life based on your decisions that you've made. And you are looking at your life and saying, this is my life now because of my decisions. You know, just uh, recently, Bennett Harris, you know, he's been, he's our office manager and our communications director here at our church. And a couple weeks ago, his wife, who has a dog training business, was um, had some people come over to look at possibly purchasing a dog from them. And, and the person that showed up was Leighton Ford. And if you don't know the name Leighton Ford, Leighton Ford is 91 years old. He married one of Billy Graham's sisters. He's a very godly man, was, was close to Billy Graham and served alongside of him in many of his crusades and has written many books, his um, just a, a, a giant in the evangelical Christian world. He lives here in Charlotte. And so Bennett didn't know who he was. And 
he just got to know him and, and eventually, you know, really hit it off well. And Bennett and his wife actually got a chance to go to lunch with Leighton and his wife uh, a couple weeks ago. And when I was talking with Bennett about it, he just, he made this comment that really stood out to me. You know, spending one hour with Leighton Ford over a meal, he came and talked to me later. And he said, you know what? He's such a godly man. I just thought about that. Spending one hour with someone, and from that 60 minutes, there's, there's this impression that you get from spending time with this person that says, this is someone who's a godly man. He knows God, and he has a life that models God in his life. And, and, and when I think about that, that is that, the reason why people can look at Leighton Ford and be like, He's a godly man. It's because there have been decades, decades of seeds sown in the Spirit. See, there comes a point in our life that you can't fake it. You can't pretend anymore. And the reality of your life is is the reality because of what you have sown with your time and with your energy and with your effort and with your choices. And man, when I, when I heard that story, there was just this part of me that said, man, I, first of all, when I'm 91, I hope I have as much energy as he, got, he had. But number two, I hope I'm the kind of person one day that by spending 60 minutes with me, someone's able to say, that person knows Jesus. That's a godly man. That's a god, you know. That doesn't happen overnight. And if we want to be that kind of person, We've got to invest with our own behavior in the right, right, the right things, the goodness of this life, the good choices, the righteous choices. But like I said, we might, you might be sitting there and saying, Ben, my, my life is a mess. My marriage is a mess. My family is a mess. I mean, I, I look at my, my, the things around me, and I've made a lot of bad decisions. I'm reaping now from decisions and behaviors and addictions that I've had in the past years, decades. And now there's a reality that just feels saddened to me and it feels overwhelming to me. So what you're saying is I'm just stuck. No, you're not. Because here is what God wants you to know. There's a greater power. There's a greater law than the law of reaping and sowing. And that is the law of redemption. And what Jesus has come to do, Jesus is the only one who can break this. We do reap what we sow. But what the cross of Jesus Christ is about, his death, his resurrection, is all about is us reaping what Jesus has sown and Jesus reaping what we have sown. See, what redemption does, what the blood of Jesus Christ does, is he can make all things new. And whether, whether it is about entering into a new relationship with Jesus or whether it is just saying, my, I've lived my life according to my own wants and my own desires, and the flesh has had reign over my life for so long, and now I want to live according to the Spirit. What I want to encourage you with this morning is the way to, ha- to enact the law of redemption is repentance. It's repentance. It's turning from, from st- I'm going to stop sowing the seeds of the flesh, and I'm going to start sowing the seeds of the Spirit. There's, 
that the work of the Spirit and the work of God in my life is, can make all things new. And yes, there may, be, there may be consequences I have to work through and walk through in my life that God has the ability to turn all things good, to make all things good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. There's a goodness that can still come out of the brokenness, out of the weeds of the flesh in your life. But you have to turn it over to God. You have to learn how to repent and say, God, I, I'm turning from this. I'm turning from myself. I'm turning from my own ways. I'm going to start trusting in you. And that is the hope that all of us have this morning. And that's the second good. So we've got to remember a good principle. And number three, keep doing good. Keep doing good. Look what he says in verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Now, I love that Paul puts in here this idea of don't grow, don't grow weary. Because how many times, you know, you, have, you get excited. You know, maybe it's you're younger, you go to Christian camp, and, and you're all, you know, I'm going to serve God. Or maybe you go to retreat somewhere, or maybe you do a Bible study, or you have this... You have this high mountaintop experience with God that you really have this moment where you're saying, I'm going to do the right thing. And so you, you, you set out to do the right thing and to, to live righteously, to follow the Spirit and to read your word and to pray and all these things that we're supposed to do. And there comes a moment where you just get tired when you're saying, you know what? I'm doing these good things. I'm investing my life in the right things. Why am I not seeing the outcome that I want to see? God, you said we reap what we sow. And I've been planting these seeds in my marriage for years, and I'm not seeing anything pop up. God, what are you doing? And so what we've got to remember is there's, this, there's a reality that we all have and that we're going to hit a wall at some point in our life where we say, I'm not sure if it's worth it. Or God, I start questioning, God, you said that we're going to reap, but where is it? And there's a couple things that we need to point out in this verse. The first thing is this. In verse 9, it says, let us not grow weary in doing good. Now that word good is a different word than the other two goods that are in verse 6 and verse 10. The, verse, uh, the word for good in verse 6 and verse 10 is the Greek word agathos. And the idea of agathos is this, it's, it's essence, by its nature, something is good. It's good to the core. So when we say God is good, it means by his very nature, his very character, he is good and he cannot do evil and he cannot do wickedness, okay? But this word good is the Greek word kalos. And kalos carries this understanding of beautiful, excellent, praiseworthy. When, when Jesus was describing the tree, you know, by, by uh, someone's life or by their actions, you will know them. Either a good tree has good fruit or a bad tree has bad fruit. He uses the word good fruit to describe this word, kalos. And, and so when you're trying to decipher what's the difference between kalos and agathos, one of the dimensions, there, there's a couple differences, but one of the things that I think we need to remember about kalos is it's a good that you can see. It's a beauty that you're able to behold. And so what Paul's saying is, listen, don't grow weary from doing good. Don't grow weary when you feel like I'm doing the agathos, but I'm not seeing the kalos. I'm doing the righteous things, but I'm not seeing the, 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 the beauty and the excellence and the goodness in my life that I want to see. 
And we all find ourselves there, but there's this amazing phrase that, that is put in here, and that is this, for in due season we will reap. See, that, that in due season, man, that is the, that's the key word. Because God is in charge of the timing of when, we, when that thing is ready for reaping. You know, every, every year when we get ready to plant our garden uh, in the spring, I shouldn't say we, I should say my wife. I, I'm, I'm there just to say uh-huh a lot. Um, but, you know, when she purchases a bunch of seeds and I'm out there and I'm kind of looking, I, I always do is every time we get a seed packet, the first thing I do is I look on the back and the number one bit of information I'm looking for is how long does this thing take for it to actually produce something? Okay, and so when when I look at this pack of seeds and I see ninety days, I'm like, I'm just gonna go to Harris Teeter. You know, I, I, when I when I turn over the pack, it's like forty five days. I'm like, ooh, forty five. I can wait forty five days, but ninety to, ninety days. That's like a fourth of the year to get one cantaloupe. I mean, think about that. And, and there's this thing inside of all of us. It's like we have this. Now, this is me. Okay, some of you by you know, by your nature, you're so relaxed and you're so patient and it, you just, you just, whatever comes your way, you're fine with, all right? And you're weird. But for, for most of us, there's things that have to get done. There's things we want to see happen in life and there's expectations we have. And for me, when I plant that seed in the ground, I want to know that within my lifetime, it's going to pop up and give me something to eat, Right? And so, so when it's 90 days, 90 days, okay? And I'm always the one, my wife will tell you, every time I'm going out there in the garden, I'm, she's like, don't pick anything. Because she knows me. She knows I will pick something before it's ripe. Because I just want to hurry up the process. And here's the thing that you've got to remember. You're not in charge of what that due season is. You're not in charge of that. And here's the other thing. There's no seed packet where God's like, you'll have a great marriage in six months if you do these things. We want the six month. You know, what we really want is we want the weekend retreat to fix everything. But here's what you have to remember, okay? The reaping, the reaping of the good, of the seeds we plant in our life, if we sow good things, there's two things we've got to remember about the, the reaping. Number one, it's in God's timing, not ours. But number two, there is no guarantee that God ever gives to us that our, our good deeds will lead to other people's transformation. You can do all the righteous things in the world that you are called to do, and it may never show up in that other person's life. You could be the greatest parent in the world and have your kids turn out to be a mess. Just the reality of life. The reaping, though, the promise that we have from God that the reaping will be that we will be changed, that we will be transformed, that we will be conformed to the image of Jesus, that, that the reaping, that in due season, that is guaranteed to happen is that you and I will be conformed into the image of Jesus. That's the promise. And so when we get weary is when we start feeling like, man, I, I want to see something happen in my timing. And, and we've got to turn that over to God. 
And we got to remember there's no guaranteed outcome except us being conformed to the image of Jesus. So that's, that's the keep doing good. Lastly, the last point, the last good we've got to do is look for good opportunities. Look for good opportunities. Look at verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, here's what's interesting. That same Greek word for in due season is the same Greek word for opportunity. It's, it's time. That, that, that as we have the time, let us do good to everyone. So, so here's what Paul is saying. There is always time to keep doing good. The reaping is going to happen in God's time. What we can control, the timing that we can control, is the doing good. And, I, you know, Paul's talked about a lot of good things here. A lot of things of how to love others. Bear one another's burdens, right? Those who are, you know, weak in the faith, you know, need to be helped and lifted up. And, again, Dan did a great job talking about that last week. You know, that you're to support those who are teaching the Word of God. That, that you are to live a life of sowing righteousness in the Spirit. That, that we are to not grow weary in doing good, but just to cover all of his bases, what does Paul say? Let us do good to everyone. Guys, I can't think of a more blanket statement than that. That means do good to every single person. Do the right thing to every person you come across paths with. That there's going to be opportunities for you to show grace to someone. There's going to be opportunities for you to stand up for, for justice towards someone. There, there's going to be opportunity to forgive. There's going to be opportunity to, 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 to love. There's, going to be, there's, there's, there's all these kinds of things. There's going to be opportunities for you to, to whatever, whatever the good is of God and the gospel, he's saying look for opportunities. Look for good opportunities. Not according to your own mind, but according to God's understanding. But we need that perspective. That when we wake up every day and we look across the landscape of our life, that we are looking for opportunities to do this. You know, one of the things I've loved about the BLESS uh, initiative we started last week and to try and create a BLESS culture in our church. And if, if you're new here, BLESS stands for, is an acronym, it stands for begin with prayer, listen, listen to someone's story, eat or engage with someone serve them, and then share Jesus with them. The whole idea is that we become a people that are more engaging with the Great Commission, that we are blessing the people around us. And, and that whole strategy has really impacted me personally because now when I walk in my neighborhood and when I'm walking around, I'm always thinking of, I've got that perspective of looking for the opportunities. And so this past week, I'm walking my, uh, I'm on my walk, with, on my prayer walk, and I'm walking by my new neighbor who just moved in a couple weeks ago, and he's out in his yard, and I go over, and I talk with him, and I introduce myself, and I get his name, and, and we start talking. We talk for about 15 minutes. He later invites me over for a barbecue for my wife and I, and, and I have this great exchange, and now you know what I have? I've got another name that I can begin, with, begin praying for in my neighborhood to build relationships with that one day, or when we have that barbecue, I get to do the L and the E at the same time, Right? This, the reason why I share this is because there was a time that if, because bless wasn't in my mind, that I would walk by that dude and be like, just wave. 
But because I have a perspective shift, I look now for opportunities to get names, to make connections. And, and bless is just one example of that, but we need to have that same mentality with the gospel. The same mentality of doing good, the way that we have been loved by God, that we will show that same love to others. That is the good that I'm talking about. And all of us, every single one of us, have the opportunities if we will just see them. So, application questions, and then we're done. The first one is this. What is the good that God is calling you to do now? What is the good? Out of these goods, right, share good things, remember a good principle, keep doing good or look for good opportunities. Which one of those four would you say, man, that is the one that I need to apply today? That's the thing that I've got to start changing and thinking differently about because I've made my life all about me. When I think about the good life, it's about me, myself, and I. And it's not about, it's not about loving others the way God wants me to. Second question, what is the good that is wearying to you? You know, some of you right now are going through some things and you're beginning to question whether or not you should keep doing the things that God's wanting you to do. You're ready to resign. You're ready to give up. You're ready to turn inward. And what I would encourage you to do is don't do that. Don't turn inward. Find that... Look and understand that there is a work that God is doing even when you don't see it. And it's that reaping in due season that God is in charge of. And can you trust him with that? Can you push through the weariness and say, you know what? I believe God is working even when I don't see it. Number three, how will you look for new opportunities to do good? What what, what are some things that you can do? You know, maybe it's put a three by five card you know, and put it in your Bible or, or, or tape it on your dashboard or put it on your refrigerator and just say, just put that phrase, do good to everyone, four words. Do good to everyone. And you are constantly reminded of that this week. What is the good thing I can do to the people that are in front of me this week? What's the, how are you going to change that perspective for yourself this week? Listen, if the gospel has changed us, if the pure gospel has transformed our lives, that's going to lead us to doing good to others. Will you? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And as we end our service this morning, I really want to go back and visit this one idea. And it's this idea of the law of redemption. Like I shared earlier, that, that maybe you're sitting here this morning and you, you think about your life and you meditate on the, what's, what the, the reality of the things that you're reaping right now. And, and maybe some of them have been, been because of some poor choices, some selfish choices, some sinful choices that you've made in your life. And I want to invite you to repent, to turn to Jesus and to say, you know what, I, I know I've made a mess of things, but I know, God, you can make something that's a mess beautiful again. I'm going to turn to you. Maybe you're looking at your life and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus with your life. You've never given your life to Christ. And he can do more than just make your current circumstances better. He can give you a new nature, a new future, a new destiny in heaven with him. 
And so, so there's a call that God has for you this morning. And I, if you feel that call from the Holy Spirit, I want to tell you, we have people out in the lobby. We're going to stand here in a moment. And when we begin to sing, just move out of your seat, go to that lobby. We've got people with red lanyards on that will pray with you and answer any questions you might have about God, about his word, about the gospel. I'll be out there too, but whatever God's calling you to do, let's be faithful to do it today. Father, I pray that as we end our time here today, that we would remember the good that you have done to us so that, God, we would want to do the good to others. Fill us, O oh Lord, with, with the perspective to see, with the hope to believe that you can make all things new. We love you so much, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.